You're listening to Lobby's podcast, The Biz. In part two of our conversation with Rolf McAllister, Rolf details his 40 years in journalism and how the Baton Rouge business community has evolved over the years. You started this in 82. That's 40 years ago, okay? And if you think about what was going on in 1982, that was we're coming off the tail end of the 70s boom where oil and gas money was everywhere. The 80s crash was knocking on our door, and kind of by the mid-80s, it was here. But, you know, the, the World's Fair in 84 was like the, the, the tipping point where it started to go downhill. So the 80s were a really tough time in Louisiana. And so the 40 years you've been covering this, there's been lots of ups and downs in Louisiana. There's been booms and busts. There's been storms. There's been corruption. There's been um, potential met, potential uh, unfulfilled. Walk through those 40 years a little bit of how you've seen the Baton Rouge region and Louisiana in general, but the Baton Rouge region change and, and what, it, what, 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 you know, you've covered it for 40 years. Where do you seen the business, free enterprise, private market change over the years uh, and, you know, from 1982 to now? Like I said, when I started in 82, I was 26 years old. So I was wide eyed and bushy tailed, you know, and thought, you know, let's go conquer the world and, you know, uh, and, and that's the, the excitement of, you know, of entrepreneurship and being young and not knowing any better. I mean, from the region itself, the economy, the drivers there, if you if you go through the, the, the top 40 under 40 in 1985 or whatever it is, a lot of those companies are no longer around. So the economy's changed a lot over the yeah, years. So yeah. what, what's that evolution been like? Well, and that's where, again, I think the, the key for us was, you know, being in a niche. Uh, you know, when you try to be all things to all people, you know, you probably get more impacted. Mm-hmm. Uh, it depends on your sector. Now, for us, again, we went into to business and, uh, you know, we went through the, I, I bought a magazine called the Baton Rouge uh, Magazine, actually, uh, in, in the end of in 88. Uh, and that was just, uh, you know, what was that, four, five years, six years later after we had started. And we were rocking and rolling. When we bought that, well... That consumer magazine, the economy turned there at the end of the 80s, and we lost a quarter of a million dollars in the next year and a half. And so it's like, whoa, this didn't work out at all. This, you know, the idea of success sometimes can be difficult to deal with because we thought we could do no wrong, right? Well, we got humbled real quickly and had to shut that magazine and regroup. And so, you know, uh, you know we, we turned around and regrouped and focused back on the business and a year and a half later decided to do a, a survey and found out our readers wanted more business. So we did, uh, instead of getting into the consumer market, we doubled up and went bi-weekly. And so we went heavier into business. And then as I told you, in 97, 98, we went into digital and more than business. And I think the idea we got it, sometimes you got to stay in your lane. And, uh, you know, what I've realized is that, you know, in 40 years, if you stay in business for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, I got a new appreciation because you're going to go through ups and downs. You're going to go through valleys and because the economy is going to go up and it's going to go down. So do you have a team that's resilient? Can you weather the storm? Can you stay the course? Do you stay in your lane, you know, stay focused uh, to do what you do best? It, it depends a lot. I mean, I feel like the good Lord's blessed me, you know, and I've had a lot of favor over the years and done a lot of praying. But, uh, but also I believe that, uh, you know, I've had a lot of good people. My wife has been there through thick and thin. My, I had a partner after the first 15 years, Julio Malera, that joined me, who ended up buying the company last year. And, and uh, you know, so you have a great team around you. you you've got to have a team. Nobody yeah. does it by themselves, and you'll fail if you try to do it by yourself. But that's where, again, we had a lot of good relationships. You know, I had one, you know, uh, customer 
uh, Lee Michael Berg, you know, who is with Lee Michaels. He was in year one. He has been in every year since. You know, it's nice to have loyal customers yeah, right. that have been with you through thick and thin and stick with you. And I've had a lot of good customers over the years. And so, again, that's part of building a business. Yep. Do, you, do you always treat them right? You know, do you always, you know, whether they agree with you or not with you or the stories, do you constantly put the reader first, which brings the readers and the readers bring the advertisers and the service for the advertisers and, you know, maintain the service and your people? Do you take care of your people? And that's what, uh, you know, after 40 years, I decided to pass the baton because, you know, it's a constant pressure in business to take care of all those people. Yeah. You know, including your family, especially when you when you set a precedence of quality and, and and high caliber of work and twice a day updates and substance. You're, you're not just selling widgets; you're putting together storylines and narrative. I mean, it, that's a that's a lot of moving parts with a lot of eyeballs want, grading you every single week. So yeah, Dead, deadlines every day, and yeah. then you got to get it right because you know you get sued if you don't get it right. So you got a lot of responsibility, and you want to you want to deliver that excellence day after day. And then you've got to take care and you've got to be innovative because your employees are saying, look, we're in a pandemic. What are you going to do? Oh, you know, <laughs> so, yeah. you know, they've got families. And that's where one of the things we did was the 21st Century Business Forum, uh, which we moved into webcast and started doing webcast during yeah. the pandemic. And then we decided, well, if we're going to get speakers, you know, top speakers for our market, why don't we go ahead and syndicate them to markets across the country? So we lined up Steve Forbes, and we lined up John Maxwell, and Renee Marborn, Blue Ocean Strategy, and Nick Saban. And, and so we started lining up Drew Brees mm -hmm. and put all these together, and then we sold it to 20 different markets who syndicated it, and they provided it to their market. So instead of just selling to Baton Rouge, we now were selling to 20 different people around the country. But that's where necessity is the mother of invention. You better come up and be creative. That's right. And, and, and you know what? We can do it here in Baton Rouge. We can do it in Louisiana. We did the Daily Report 25 years ago, the first email, daily email for a business journal. We can do syndicated programs. And so this is where, again, it's that can-do attitude, willing to take risk, uh, you know, but you got to embrace change because change is constant. I, I remember, and we're going to get into some of the change going forward, Louisiana. I want your opinion on some of that. But let me ask you one last thing on, on looking backwards on the Biz Report you know, era. I, I remember watching a documentary or, an inter, excuse me, an interview with Charles Schultz. Uh, was it Charles Schultz who, after he'd written the Peanuts cartoon all, all those years? And they're like, hey, you've done this forever, blah, blah, blah. You know, what, what's your thoughts on it? You know, any regrets? And he started breaking down crying. And he's crying. He's like, and, they, and when he could catch himself, he's like, I wish I'd have let Lucy kick the football. And his biggest regret is he never let Lucy, I mean, excuse me, Charlie kick that football. He always had Lucy take it away from him. And I thought that was interesting, you know, a guy who had the power of the pen all those years. And when he put it down, he's like, man, I wish I'd have done that. So you've written columns for 40 years, and you've taken some strong positions now. And are there any you look back on and you say, man, I wish I wouldn't have said that one? Or, or, or any you didn't write, and you're man, I should have said this at that time. I should have put a flag in the ground. Do you, I mean, if you had all those years of taking strong opinions, any good or bad stand out to you that you, eh, I don't know, I might have done that one different or no, it, it is what it is. Yes. Um, you know, I guess, you know, sometimes you think that all things work together for a reason, you know, and, uh, and you get moved by the moment when you're younger, you know, as you do get older and like I am, you get wiser and start to, weigh things and think things in the long term and not the short term. You know, I might have been impulsive at times. 
I've written columns where I've tried to always have my editors check me, you know, and say, you know, look, I don't want to be mean-spirited. I want to speak the truth, you know, in what I believe is the, you know, my opinion. And uh, But I, I'm not I want to attack anybody personally, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It's more on the issues, you know, and people don't always take it that way. But, uh, you know, I've tried to ask them to, you know, check me on that. And I've said some things which, you know, might have been harsh, and I've actually called people after I wrote them and apologized, you know, and, uh, and said, look, you know, I probably shouldn't have said that that way. You know, uh, this is what I meant, but you know what? Like I said, and that's what I don't think journalists, you know, and publications do enough of. They don't admit error. And like I said, we're like anybody else. They make mistakes. They need to acknowledge them. You know, looking back, um, you know, um, like I said, I tried to, I try to think it over. I don't, I let it sit. You know, like those emails you write sometimes when you get hot. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like don't hit sin. Let's wait a day. That's good advice. My, my staff, my staff <laughs> always tells me don't tweet before coffee or after drinks. Yeah. You know, and I think you know it's pretty good advice. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so that's where again, there's probably some things that um, you know maybe I should have pushed harder on some things. I tried to do my best when I look back for opportunities. You know, where you know maybe I sh- you know there was missed opportunities in our city or our state, and I'm saying like. You know, but that's one of the reasons why I got involved in politics because I used to write things and and people wouldn't jump in and do something and fight for the right. change and all that. So finally, I said, you know, I'm getting out of the ivory tower. I'm gonna get down there and I'm gonna get involved. And that was when I got involved with Buddy Romer because of my, you know, uh, you know, frustration with an Edwin Edwards and the way our image of our state was. And and I'll tell you, I did write one column. Um, since you, I'll be honest, uh, you know, yeah. I, I did uh, uh, endorse, while I'd endorsed Dave Treen for the first primary, uh, I, uh, for the first election when he got elected in the runoff, I, uh, I, I, I didn't endorse him for re-election because I didn't think he did enough in Louisiana. But he was a great guy. He was honest. And so I thought things needed to happen. Unfortunately, you know, I said, Edwin Edwards, let's get him back in there and let's get Louisiana moving again. Unfortunately, we moved in the wrong direction. And four years later, I said, you know, I was a mistake and we need to find a candidate. And that's when I got involved with Buddy Romer. And so. Uh, but, you, you know, know, that's human. And, yeah. I, and I think your reader over time will appreciate, at least, you know, if you're looking for long haul, you know, eyeballs to follow you. That you're going to grow as your as, as your community grows, as your readers grow, and to go out and say, "Hey, look, I, I said this before, but maybe I, you know, I was wrong on that front." I think that gives a level of credibility. I think right now you don't hear that from anyone. Forget journalism; just anyone out there as a public voice. Everyone pretends that they're perfect all the time and their opinions perfect. You know, look, as an organization, we put a lot of strong opinions out there as well. And I try very hard every now and then to, you know, say, look at something in the mirror and say, hey, are we wrong on something? Should we pivot? Should we do something different? And I think if you're being responsible and you truly are a change agent, you have to do that because the innovative reform ideas of today might be proven a decade from now to not work. And then maybe something different needs to happen. If you have to have the guts to be able to kind of follow that trend. Well, it's like hiring employees. We've all made some hires that we thought we're going to work yeah. out that didn't work out. And they started out maybe one way and then change, you know, more recent, you know, in the, in the mayor's race six years ago in the runoff, you know, uh, I, I endorsed, you know, Sharon Weston Broom, you know, and, uh, and it was a rough four years in my opinion and, and make mistakes made with, you know, hires in the office, uh, people around her that were, didn't make her effective and, and, and Baton Rouge suffered. And, you know, so when she ran for reelection, I was Steve Carter, you know, and I said, you know, 
it just didn't happen. And if it doesn't happen, it's like a coach. We don't tolerate too much, uh, you know, at LSU coaching. You know, uh, oh, you won a championship two years later? Sorry, you know. And, and so, you know, that's where, again, you know, that was uh, one that didn't work out the way I'd hoped. And, uh, and I think, you know, Steve would have would have been a better mayor and fortunately we lost Steve. Yeah, for those for those who don't, who don't know are listening, Steve Carter was a tremendous talent, uh, state legislator, but much more than that, a well-known person who unfortunately left uh, too early uh, yeah. in the last couple of years. It's him. So, uh, so that's where, again, you know, like I said, you do your best, your intent, you know, is, is for Baton Rouge. I love Baton Rouge. It's my hometown, Louisiana. And, uh, you know, but if, you know, we, we all make mistakes, like you said, we're human. So, okay. So, um, Let's talk about where Baton Rouge, your hometown, is right now. So for 40 years, you've been driving some of the opinion and narrative of this region. I know you're still writing your column now, and I you know, hope you do it for, for a long time. But uh, going forward, uh, 20, 2023 has a potential to be a huge year for Louisiana. you got term limits driving a new governor. you got a lot of statewide elected officials looking at that seat, so there'll be openings there. You've got term limits all throughout the legislature. You've got states throughout the South that are booming right now. As you see supply chains coming back home, you see businesses and companies and families leaving crazy states like New York and California and Illinois, and they're moving south. And everyone knows the stories of the cranes in Nashville and the boom in Houston and Dallas and Atlanta. And so the question is, where is, do you think, uh, Baton Rouge and Louisiana right now? And what should our ceiling, our, our expectation be going forward? And, and I'll kind of give you the loaded question that, you know, we're of the belief that next year has the potential to be one of the most important years in Louisiana political history because we've never had the opportunity to make such a significant leap that we'll have next year. And it can't be falling in love with the right personality or soundbite or campaign slogan. It's got to be what are we trying to accomplish? How high is our ceiling? Are we content with just being the same old, same old? Or do we want to be one of those economic leaders in the South? Do we want to be a state that grows, uh, that grows each year and that keeps our sons and daughters here at home instead of losing? I mean, do, do we truly have the desire to go get that done? And I think it's a, it's a true gut check moment for the state and its voters. What, what are we going to go and demand next year? And so I'm curious, what do you see as the state of Louisiana today and how hopeful are you of what we're going to be in the years to come? Yeah, well, I'll, um, I'll tell you, the reason I'm still involved and uh, at 67 years old, uh, despite having sold my business, is because I have my daughter and two daughters and two, two son-in-laws, but also five grandchildren and one on the way. And uh, I, they live here and, and are growing up in Baton Rouge in Louisiana. <clears throat> one of the things that uh, frustrates me is that, you know, as I mentioned to you, you know, I got involved with Buddy Romer, and he talked about the future, and he talked about, you know, how small Louisiana was in a global economy and how we had to prepare for the future in global competition. It wasn't going to be – our competition wasn't going to be in Brule. It was going to be in Beijing, <laughs> you know. I mean, he was so far ahead. But the other thing that I heard was that 80% of the people in, Na- or in Louisiana live here are native, yeah. and that means they were born here and are still here. I'm one of those, and uh, but that's the highest in the nation, and what that creates is a status quo, where we've all seen things the way they've always been done before. I hate the the, the phrase, you know, well, Rolf, we can't do that. That's not the way we've always done it before. Hate it, you hate know it too, I mean? and you hear uh, too often. And, and so when people are saying, "Look, so and so has a new idea," and I go back to the 
business world 40 years ago. Why not say, well, let's think about that. You know, hey, where'd you come up with that? You know, and, and uh, where are they doing that? Are they doing it? Oh, you, you saw that somewhere else? They're doing it there? I mean, uh, we have businesses all the time that come from other places and open in Baton Rouge, and we love them, and we go eat there, and we shop there, and so forth. And they're like, well, they, we didn't create it. It came from somewhere else. It was a good idea. Yeah. And so, you know, so that's one of the things that I think has held Baton Rouge and, and, and Louisiana back, uh, you know, that, that comfort with the past. Uh, you know, we always had it to where Huey told us he was going to take care of us and put a chicken in every pot. And, and it's like, guys, we don't have any more chickens and there's no more pots. <laughs> you know, go out and get your own pot and your own chicken. You know what I mean? It's like the state's not going to take care of you, you know. And so – that's where I think entrepreneurs, when we went to the Canvas trip to, to Austin back in early 2003, I think it was, you know, the mayor there said, we said, Ted, give us one thing to take back. And we met people there that were from Baton Rouge that had moved to Austin. We said, why did you leave? And they said, well, we had ideas. We were young, but there wasn't room at the table for us. And, in fact, people told us that's not the way we've always done it before, the gray hairs and so forth. And it's like, wait a second. So he said, we came here. These folks are risk takers in Texas. They're dread wildcatters. You know what I mean? And they didn't care how old we were. They liked the idea. And then the mayor said, go back. And he said, find out what it takes to attract 25-year-old entrepreneurs. Well, gee, if we had done that 20 years ago, those entrepreneurs would be 45 with thriving businesses, you know, and so forth. And, you know, at the time, the chamber, I said, well, how many people on the chamber board, you know, are under 40? Zero. Okay, so... They told us that and told us what they want, you know, we ought to do. But the question is, do we come back and do it? I know recently the chamber went to Greenville and everybody mm -hmm. came out hyped up and, oh, Greenville's doing this, Greenville's doing that. You know, the question is, hey, what are we going to do about it? Stay excited for six months and then let it go? Um, two things I'd tell you is, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's a quote I like, which is Wayne Gretzky, and they said, how did you get to be the greatest hockey player of all time? And he said, I don't skate to where the puck is. I skate to where the puck is going to be. Mm -hmm. And I think what's happened is we've tried to play catch up. And by the time we catch up. Well, and Cajuns can't skate either. That's another <laughs> problem. You know? <laughs> yeah, by the time we catch up to where others are, they've already moved on to the future. And right now, change is happening so fast. It used to be, what's your 10-year plan? Okay, forget that. What's your five-year plan? Oh, forget that. What's your two-year plan? I don't know if it's two years anymore. Mm -hmm. Things are moving so fast. So we've got to anticipate what the future competition is going to be and where the, the opportunities and jobs are and start focusing on that. You know, the, uh, the Chinese proverb says the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The next best time is now. <laughs> and so the idea is I'd have liked to have done that 20 years ago when we came back to Austin. We didn't. You know, uh, I'd have liked to hire a city manager, you know, 30 years ago, when Tommy had first came in and Ted Gabler was available, you know, who wrote Reinventing Government two years after he left here, but they wouldn't hire him, you know. And this is the opportunity. We have opportunities, and we, we, we are afraid, and so we go with the, what's play it safe. And, you know, it's, you can't bunch your way, you know, to the World Series. You know, you got you got to swing for the fences. Mm -hmm. you got to take some chances, you know. you got to go for the home run every now and then. And, and I think we've, we've – lost that or, you know, or, or there's not enough people out there that are doing it. And if they do try it, we criticize them for striking out. We say, well, thank God you got up there and you tried to hit a home run instead. So we got to be, you know, celebrating the risk takers. Yep. Entrepreneurs, I think, are a hero. 
I don't know that we have car plants lined up to come to Louisiana. You know, it may be entrepreneurs like Huey Wilson was when he built his thing or, or you know, a guy like uh, Bill Bourne who started Emeticis or, or the Lamar family, you know, who started Lamar National Company or, or Jim Bernhardt who built the Fortune 500. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's companies like that. There's, you know, Lane Grigsby, Newton Thomas, Art just keep going on. I always think about all those industrial contractors because people know them as very successful today. But if you actually sit down and talk to them about the stories of how their company started – and it's usually uh, at the beginning, it's them at their kitchen table with a spouse or with someone else, and they see a gap in the market, and they don't really have the capacity to meet the gap, but they see the gap, and they're like, you know what, I'm going to go for it. And it's usually involved with a loan and a leap of faith, and one truck turns into 20 trucks, and next thing you know, boom. And people fast forward to the end and say, oh, look how successful it is that. You know, and no, no, <laughs> you, you're, you're missing the story. Yeah. The story is that first moment. And so how do we create a state where entrepreneurs see this region, this area as the place to harvest their idea into a great crop instead of like, well, you know what, if I just go to Dallas or Houston or Atlanta, there'll be so many, you know, employees or companies or resources or contractors or banks or whatever. I'm just going to go there because it's a path least resistance. That's where we got to get to where, no, 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 create the, the, the infrastructure here so those entrepreneurs sitting at a kitchen table stay at kitchen tables yeah. located here. Well, we got to, uh, like you said, I mean, we got to celebrate those. For instance, uh, Mike Wampold, who you know, uh, you know, he just had his 40th celebration, 40 years. Uh, you know, I had his attorney tell me he, 1982, the same year Business Award started, he uh, incorporated and he said he did his first transaction, bought a duplex. The man started with one duplex. <laughs> what would Baton Rouge Skyline be? He's got a lot be? more than du- one duplex now, man. He's got five <laughs> towers in downtown. He's yeah. got uh, the Renaissance. He's got Harvison. I mean, he's done incredible work with a high standard of excellence. Look at what he's done. But see, you know, he was, you know, celebrated and supported. And, and, and you know, he would tell you that. Uh, you know, Jude Melville, you know, Buddy Romer, B1 Bank. I mean, they're, you know, headquartered right down the street. Uh, you know, started 16 years ago, $6 billion now, bank, grown from right here in Baton Rouge. Uh, now, how many businesses have they helped? And Jude now, February, is going to serve lobby as its chairman, right? That's right. That's and right. so, I mean, look at what it does. It doesn't just, you know, create businesses and jobs and help businesses, but it also serves the community, gives back to the community, provides leadership in the community. That's why the importance of entrepreneurship, we ought to be, saying, what can we do? And, and maybe we need to specialize because, you know, we can't be all things to all people. But in the area of water, we have expertise over there at the Water Institute. In the area of obesity and diabetes, we have world-class excellence over there at Pennington, you know, and, and have the health district. In the area of cyber, you know, LSU and Stevenson now are doing some incredible things. Maybe we need to pick some niches, you know. And, in fact, you mentioned uh, the industrial instruct- construction those guys are some of the best around. Uh, you know, they'll tell you now. They build they build the most complex facilities all over the globe, and no one knows it. Yeah. If you if you go off the coast of Israel right now and see how they're producing their resources, you're going to see Danos Hard Hats and other and yeah. other companies like that out there doing it. If you go to Pennsylvania right now and go to a grocery store, you're going to see Tony Shashri's on the shelves because they they have to to feed all the all the Cajuns that are up there yeah. producing natural resources there. So that's what we do. Yeah. Well, we haven't always done is say, let's keep all that talent at home and, and grow it here. I mean, and and I, I'm hopeful that we're on the verge of flipping that switch in next year. I think if we can get folks around the state excited 
and confident that this is our moment to yeah. grab market share and to plant that tree, yeah. if you yeah. will. And, and it, it might take you 20 yeah. years to, yeah. to bear yeah. fruit, but you know what? You'll still be you know, having something to climb a couple years down the road. And so I think we can get there. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Biz. Stay tuned for more episodes coming your way as we kick off 2023.